we invite you to explore the complexity and interconnectedness of food in Arizona. The state of Arizona is mostly known for its large-scale and industrial agriculture. However, since it's considered an arid region with little water availability, poor soil quality, and extreme hot climate, these types of farming and food production practices are not sustainable. I'm Sarah Sayed, and as part of my doctoral research on regenerative food systems and sustainable practices, I have co-created a series of podcasts with four undergraduate students at Arizona State University. In the coming two episodes, we will be presenting two perspectives, one from a small-scale food producer and another from an advocate working on food policy. In these episodes, we will learn about how we can make more informed decisions as individual consumers, understand the impact of what we buy and who we support. We will also learn about how different organizations and coalitions push forward policies to support small and medium enterprises that are often more sustainable and essentially understand how our civic engagement can benefit the community at large. We challenge you to think about the roots of our food and make conscious decisions about what is on our plate and how it got there. This episode is co-hosted by Madison Harris and Katie Blessington. Katie is a first-year chemical engineering student at Arizona State University. She is an open water swimmer and is passionate about spending time outside. Madison is a second-year student at Arizona State University studying business and sustainability. She's passionate about corporate responsibility and hopes to utilize policy to encourage corporate sustainability in the future. Food policy is the area of public policy concerning how food is produced, processed, distributed, purchased, or provided. Food policies are designed to influence the operation of the food and agriculture system, all while ensuring human health needs. To join us for our discussion of food policy today, we are so excited to have Kenneth Steele from Pinnacle Prevention. Hi everyone, I am the Healthy Communities Programs Manager at Pinnacle Prevention. Pinnacle Prevention is a nonprofit organization that works across the state of Arizona to grow healthier communities and healthier families. And we work primarily on issues that relate to the food system. And also we try to create more opportunities for folks to live an active lifestyle. Pinnacle Prevention also helps to support and facilitate the Arizona Food Systems Network. With some funding from the Vitalist Health Foundation, we've been able to uh, start the Arizona Food Systems Network. It is a coalition of food system coalitions across the state, and we primarily work on policy change at the state level, but also have tons of opportunities to work on local issues as well. When I think of advocacy, I think about researching who I vote for, reaching out to representatives, signing petitions, and going to local events. But to me, civic engagement really sits at the heart of advocacy. And as a professional in this field, I was hoping you could tell us a little bit more about what advocacy looks like for you and what you find fulfilling about working in advocacy. Yeah, I think advocacy can 
mean a lot of different things. I think some of the examples that you mentioned about engaging in local elections or signing petitions, finding different events where you can learn about different policy initiatives are all good examples. And I think it can happen at a lot of different levels. So there can be administrative advocacy, just working with a government agency to you know, improve their programs or improve the way that they work with community members or to consider you know, how they spend their funding. You could have conversations with just staff that work at a city or state department and change the way that they operate and the systems that they kind of operate under. So that would be a form of administrative advocacy that people maybe don't always think about. But there's also advocacy on lawmaking processes. So whether at the local level, when a city is deciding whether to pass some sort of policy and they are working through the process of doing neighborhood meetings to you know, hearing more about the policy at a commission before it even reaches a city council meeting, you could also advocate at those levels. And then there's also state level advocacy, which is on my mind the most right now, as it's um, the middle of the 2021 Arizona state legislative session where bills are being introduced and there's multiple ways to engage in that state legislative process as well. And you can do it from home at your computer, signing in in support of a bill, or you can call up your local legislator and leave a voicemail with them about your support or opposition for an initiative. And then there's also advocacy that can happen at the federal level. And so, you know, there's so many different ways to engage. And that's what I love about it is that folks can find what works for them at their comfort level, at their experience level. And there's always ways to start small and kind of work your way up to doing more advocacy on issues that are important to you. It's obvious that advocacy is a large part of your job. Can you tell us what a typical day or week of work looks like for you? Sure. You know, a lot of the work that we do in food policy and public health related policy happens through collaboration with a lot of different stakeholders, whether they be different government entities or other nonprofits or community members that are just simply interested in making a change in the food system. There are a lot of different opportunities for us to work together. And so a lot of my time is spent preparing for organizing meetings, so like coalition meetings. And one of the parts of my role that I have been spending a lot of time on is with the Arizona Food System Network. And so that's one example of a coalition of folks throughout the state that are interested in improving the food system. And it's actually made up of a lot of other smaller local and regional food system coalitions that exist in Maricopa County and Pima County and Coconino County, Yavapai County. So keeping all those folks informed about different policy initiatives that we're working on, providing space for them to also inform us about the issues that they are working on and creating that space where people can collaborate work together on important issues, support each other is something that we spend a lot of time doing. So that's one aspect of uh, what my typical day looks like. I also mentioned earlier, you know, we're in the middle of a legislative session. So we have quite a few 
meetings with state legislators. Each week is a little bit different depending on kind of the timeline of where things are. But as bills are making their way to the various committees that they are assigned to, we meet with the legislators in advance. We let them know more about the policies that we've worked with our partners to introduce. We let them ask questions and pick our brains about things that they, they like or don't like about the bill and try to be as informative as we can within 15 to 30 minutes because these are busy folks and we want to respect their time. Hearing about how important communication is in your work makes me wonder how the pandemic has changed the way that you work. I think that the pandemic has shown the need even more for collaboration and for folks to be talking to one another. Early on in the pandemic, we realized that a lot of folks wanted to know, you know, hey, how are you dealing with this food bank issue? How are you ensuring that local producers are still able to sell the produce that they're growing? How are farmers markets going to continue to stay open? What are we doing with communities that are lacking access to transportation right now? And how do we ensure that they're getting healthy food? What was typically a call that happened uh, less frequently started to meet every other week because we realized that folks from around the state needed to talk to one another to learn what was happening in pockets throughout the entire state and how to come up with you know, local, state, and even you know, federal level solutions to what we were seeing on the ground and how the pandemic was affecting communities. I'm glad that Katie brought up the COVID-19 pandemic because although it's brought a lot of hardship for a lot of folks, it's also brought a lot of really important issues to light. Through the pandemic, a lot of people became aware of many systemic issues locally and nationally, and they became eager to learn more about these issues and became empowered to actually do something about it. So given that, we want to talk about food issues that Arizona is facing. When Katie and I were discussing this, we thought of things like food deserts and water scarcity. Kenneth, what do you think are the largest food issues facing Arizona? Two of the biggest priorities for me when I think of food issues that are impacting food insecurity and a healthy food system, sustainable food system here in the state of Arizona are number one, land, and number two, water. In terms of land, we're losing tons of viable, rich farmland to development. And then number two, we need to be thinking now and in the future, how do we ensure that we have access to water to sustain agriculture operations? A lot of folks, you know, they don't see any restrictions to water use here in the state you know, even at kind of that local level or at your home. And perhaps it's not that expensive to have water. And so you think, oh, we're always going to have it. But that's not always the case. And there needs to be ongoing advocacy to ensure that there are ways for us to continue to have access to that water long term. And just one example of that is Different tribes around the state have been working for decades to ensure that they have access to the water that they used to have that perhaps got taken away from them. And there are these big, long, drawn-out legal disputes to ensure that they continue to have water or to get water back that they lost. So it, at times it seems complicated, but there are folks you know, that are working on that issue. 
And we need those things in order to continue to grow food here in our state, keep things local, and to ensure that people can get their hands on this great produce that we're able to grow here in Arizona. Yeah, absolutely. I've been taking sustainability classes at ASU, and water and land are two topics that always come up. It's difficult for consumers to recognize these issues because, like you said, water and food seem readily available. But when you look more closely at food systems as a whole, there are a lot of issues there. Can you tell us more about some of the programs that Pinnacle Prevention is working on? Maybe one that you're involved with currently? Sure. One of the programs that we're working on is ongoing funding for the Double Up Food Bucks program. And so for those of y'all that aren't familiar, it's a fruit and vegetable incentive program that allows for SNAP participants. So the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, folks that are on SNAP to be able to double their purchasing power at designated sites. And so these sites, most of them are farmer's markets. Some of them are mobile produce markets. Some of them are mom and pop grocery stores that are stocking up with healthy locally grown produce. And then there's a limited number of state-owned grocery stores too that offer the program. What a SNAP participant can do is each day come to the designated site and spend $20 on Arizona-grown fruits and vegetables. And then with the program, they're able to then get another free $20 worth of Arizona-grown fruits and vegetables. This program started back in 2016 with funding from the federal government through the USDA. And then in 2018, we were able to secure a one-time appropriation or a chunk of funding from the state that allowed for us to continue to operate the program and to provide that really valuable match along with some wonderful private donors as well that helped to match some of that state funding. So it was a federal, state, and private program that allowed for this Double Up program to expand across the state to over 75 sites. This program you know, is in such high demand across the state that we need more funding to keep it going, but also to expand it in a lot of areas that don't have access to it currently. So that's one of our most important programs. And this year in the legislative session, we're advocating for ongoing state funding to provide that state match. We'll see how it happens where previously perhaps you're growing all this great stuff, but it was difficult to sell. Now you have a great, consistent, and ever-expanding market base that is purchasing your produce. It also benefits local economies, and it also keeps that federal funding that we receive for SNAP in our state. So if you're buying some general brand of cereal or something like that, it's going to go in the pockets of that big food company. But if you're spending those SNAP dollars at a farmer's market, then that money's staying here in our state. How do you decide what issues or programs to push for? How do you set your priorities? We hear all the time from partners about the opportunities that exist around the state. And we'd like to work on all of them. <laughs> and I think with the network of different folks that we collaborate with, I think it's becoming more and more possible to address more and more of these different issues and opportunities. A couple of things that we'll look at are, is there a sense of urgency around the issue? 
like we talked about earlier when it comes to issues that relate to, to the pandemic and making sure that people aren't going hungry. There's a sense of urgency there. So we'll roll up our sleeves and see what we can do together to address some of those issues. Sometimes it has to do with political will. Is this the right set of legislators that can help to get this statewide policy in, in place? And do we have folks in positions of power in the different legislative bodies or on those key committees that deal with issues that relate to agriculture or natural resources or land that are on board for these kind of things? Right now, with the change in the federal administration, then there's a different political will than our previous administration when it comes to federal policies and funding opportunities. Then our partners and ourselves as well that are engaged in that federal level advocacy will then start working on those different issues. Are there things that Pinnacle Prevention has on the table currently that will hopefully come to fruition in the next couple of years? an issue that the Arizona Food Bank Network brought to the legislature this year is a full reversal on the SNAP felon ban. So previously, for folks that had committed a felony related to a drug offense, they were no longer eligible to receive SNAP even after they had served their time. A few years ago, there was a partial lift on that ban, and our friends over at the Food Bank Network were working with a representative to introduce a bill that would fully lift that ban. The idea behind it is that, you know, they've already served their time, and why should they continue to be punished in a sense and not be able to receive some great benefits that can help them get back on their feet? So it's just a really important issue that didn't get the attention it deserved this session. When it comes to at least state level policy and even local level policy, these things can take years and years and rounds and rounds to bring the attention to the issue that it deserves. Be introduced once, maybe twice, maybe you find a different avenue of, of getting it into state statute through some other criminal justice reform initiative. And so that's something that I think we'll be strategizing on and working on in the future. And I'm sure as we work with more partners, some great ideas will rise to the surface. From your perspective working in public policy, why do you think it's important for youth to be involved in advocacy related to food systems? Something that youth bring to the table that is extremely powerful is storytelling. And youth have been doing a wonderful job at telling their stories related to issues such as climate change. We've seen that space really be strengthened through voices of youth that are talking about their futures. It's not fair that things are happening to them that they didn't even contribute to. I think that youth that are interested in food can have equally as loud of a voice when it comes to food systems related issues if they get the opportunity to be informed about the issues. I think everyone would rather hear from someone who's passionate and young than some lifetime lobbyist <laughs> on issues related to food. So yeah, they're just just like with any other issue, we need fresh energy, fresh ideas. 
What are some differences between large and small-scale farms, especially with regards to lobbying abilities? And how do these differences make it more challenging to speak out against larger institutions and industrial farming? When it comes to smaller and middle-sized food production operations, there's not always money in the budget or there's not uh, always a clear lane of how to voice those issues. And so there's this opportunity to have power in numbers. So if we can get enough small or middle-sized growers together, then we can make their collective voices a little bit louder. And so I think that's why we do the work that we do when it comes to coalition building is, you know, let's bring everyone together. Let's have some folks that have at least a little bit of policy expertise. Let's navigate what that looks like. And as a collective force of a lot of smaller folks, let's showcase power in numbers by emailing our legislators, by working on some good reports, you know, that make the case for the economic contribution, the social contribution, the health contribution of the work that we're doing together. And let's, you know, do our best to make these important efforts, make it all the way up to the table of those folks that are in power. And we may not have a big budget, but, you know, we work together. And I think there's still a way to make really good change happen. If everything were to work out perfectly, what types of changes and practices would you like to see in the future? I would love to see that we have preserved the heritage of agriculture in our state in various ways. I would love to see more land being used to produce food. I would love to see farmers not have to worry about how they're going to make ends meet. But I would also love to see that consumers are more tuned in to what our state has to offer and that they are purchasing things locally, that they're changing their purchasing habits. Um, but that doesn't come from just like I, a behavior change. It comes from policy change at various levels. And so when I talk to local staff, I think people think that this farm to table or local food thing is just a trend um, that's going to go away. And so I'd like to prove them wrong <laughs> and in 10 years help these folks realize that this isn't just a fad, but actually it's a thoughtful way of preserving something really important and something critical to ensuring that families are fed and that they have an opportunity to be healthy. When they realize that, then I think that the policies and the funding that help to support these kind of things is just second nature and it's not a battle. We hope you enjoyed listening to the ASU students and the respective speakers and learned some new sustainable and regenerative food practices. We hope the episode has inspired you to become more active in our local food system and to seek ways to be part of the more sustainable solutions. In the end, we would like to thank the School of Sustainability at Arizona State University, the four undergraduate students who worked on the podcast, Anna Elovitz, Jordan Sini, Madison Harris, and Katie Blessington. We would also like to thank our speakers, Bridget Pettis, co-founder of Project Roots, and Kenneth Steele, Program Manager at Pinnacle Prevention, 
as well as Dion Washington, Director of Operations at Project Roots. And finally, we would like to thank for their generous contribution with music, Omar Adib for his song Morning Knock and Haini Skandar for his song Let Me Out. We thank you for listening in.